Welcome to the Beers and Ears podcast. Here are your hosts, Casey Woolley and Matthew Brown. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Beers and Ears podcast. My name is Matt. And my name is Casey. We have got a fun mystery type podcast for you guys today. Absolutely. We've got a really kind of fun episode planned where we are going to be looking at some failed attractions and somewhere this episode was bore out of way back in our very uh, second episode, the Pinocchio episode. Casey said, oh, you know, Pleasure Island, I wonder if this is where they got the idea for Pleasure Island for Disney World. And if you go back, I say, it is not. We cannot get into this right now because we don't have time, but it is a totally different story and it's fascinating. And so we decided to make this a failed attractions and lands or things down at the parks episode. Yeah, so so one of the things that's always intrigued me being the Disney history, Disney parks buff that I am. When you think about Disney, you think that Disney gets it right every time. But when you go back to even Walt himself, he failed multiple times before getting it right. I mean, we think of the start of, of the Disney company as the start with Mickey Mouse, but the reality is prior to Mickey Mouse, there was some other stuff. There were the Alice shorts. There was Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. That was, again, we talked about that was taken away from Disney because he didn't own the rights. I mean, Disney himself, Mr. Disney, Walt Disney himself, he he failed on several occasions. And that's kind of a a, a trend that you see with smart iconic people through the years is they they go through multiple iterations of an idea before they land on the one that works i mean i think thomas edison once said you know i i didn't i didn't fail at making the light bulb i just thought of a thousand different ways not to make a light bulb <laughs> you know it's the same premise right so when you look at the walt disney company and you look at the stuff that they've done through the years specifically in their parks arena you realize that sometimes they don't get it right or they got it right but over time it's time to change that out for something new and so we're going to explore two of those today and matt mentioned one which is the pleasure island uh one kind of what happened there and then i'm going to take us down a trip down memory lane to a attraction actually a park that i never got to experience because i had not even gotten into disney at this point and that is river country which was walt disney world's first water park so matt i'm going to let you start with pleasure island because that's kind of where this episode was born out of and then i will talk to us about uh river country so up until I want to say a year ago, I was under the impression that Pleasure Island was a reference to Pinocchio. And maybe a lot of you out there think this. And I've read non-Disney books that are still referencing Disney things that think it is a part of it. And I mean, honestly, it makes sense that Pleasure Island was a more adult-focused uh, land where it, you, there were clubs and bars and and it was more of the nightlife. So it was definitely for adults. And of course, Pleasure I've Island. I've got the nightlife. I like to boogie. <laughs> I, I had to, Matt. Come on, buddy. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. A, a, a useful interruption. Um, yes. And, and so, of course, in the movie Pinocchio, this is where Pinocchio and Lampwick and all the young boys go to smoke and drink and gamble and make fools of themselves and so it, it makes sense of the connection 
but that is not even the slightest what this is about. The legend that the Disney company created is that Pleasure Island was based on fictitious owner Meriwether Adam Pleasure. And wow. Yes. So Pleasure Island was founded by this guy. And the opening plaque, so they had plaques scattered everywhere. And I'll get to more of what those were in just a minute. But the one right at the plaque on the bridge by the ticket booths, founded 1911. A living monument to the wise fool, the mad visionary, the scoundrel, the scallywag, and the seeker of enjoyment, Meriwether Adam Pleasure, who purchased the island in 1911. Pleasure's profitable canvas manufacturing slash sale fabricating empire, founded on this site, provided him with the capital to indulge his lifelong interest in the exotic, the experimental, and the unexplainable. Known as the Grand Funmeister, Pleasure disappeared during his 1941 circumnavigation of the Antarctic. His sons, Henry and Stuart, took over the island and the Pleasure Enterprises. Their mismanagement led to bankruptcy in 1955. Hurricane Connie hit that same year and Pleasure Island was abandoned. In 1987, archaeologists uncovered the site and its remains, and a large-scale reclamation project was begun. In 1989, the new Pleasure Island was reopened and dedicated to the legacy of Meriwether Adam Pleasure. Fun for all and all for fun. Placed here by the Pleasure Island uh, Pleasure Island Historical Society. <laughs> you know, this is something that Disney's really, really good about is creating story, creating lore around all their attractions. I mean, Disney Springs in its newest incarnation of Disney Springs has its own backstory. You know, it, as you were reading the plaque, it, it kind of reminded me a little bit about very similar to how the history of the Jungle Skipper Canteen restaurant has been founded. Uh, very similar backstory, similar idea behind an adventure or things like that. So I'm wondering if maybe they, you know, they, there's a saying around Disney that no good idea goes unused. My guess is maybe they recycled that idea into the, the Jungle Skipper Canteen restaurant. It may have been because then there were 26 of these plaques around. So each of the like restaurants and clubs and bars had a connection to the grand fundmeister Meriwether Pleasure. And um, <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not going to read them, read them all. I will post this link out uh, that I'm reading from on our social media pages so you can read it because it's, it, 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 it gives this lore and it's insanely interesting. And really the crown jewel of this, when I, when you kind of dig in some more was the adventurers club. This was the first thing or one of the first things that Joe Rohde, who uh, many of you Disney fans may know out there as he pretty much designed Animal Kingdom, mm -hmm, as yeah. well as he's been the brain trust of the rides of Expedition Everest and uh, uh, Pandora I mean, Pandora is his yes, baby, <laughs> Pandora and uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout over in Disneyland. Yeah. So, I mean, this is this is also I believe he uh, he also is. The, a core creator of uh, Alani uh, up in Hawaii. Yes, I mean absolutely. I believe like, that I, as I, well. Yeah, he's got it. He is the the big name Imagineer right now. And what this was was this club where it was a there were shows going on all the time. There were different rooms, and there were adventurers that were just like hanging out in there. So there were some aviators and some treasurers, and the club curator and the president, and they would come out and do shows throughout the night. So there were like eight to 10 different shows that you just like hung around and all of a sudden a show would pop out as you're hanging out in the adventurers club. I watched a lot of 
videos of people talking about this was a place that as a kid I went to, I mean, I couldn't like drink or anything like that, but I went because the show was so cool. I think the problem with it and kind of what I've seen is, and, and my question being, why did they go with the name Pleasure Island? If you're creating a fictitious person, why not pick any other word to insert into this? Because I can see where if you're a Disney person and you hear Pleasure Island and it's a place for adults with clubs and bars, you're thinking it's not for kids and it's very much connected to Pinocchio. And Pleasure Island in Pinocchio is not a happy place. Like, that's not a place I want to go. Do we know, I mean, again, there's the backstory, but do we know for certain, has Disney categorically denied saying, I mean, have, have they denied the fact that, that there was no intention to tie this to Pinocchio whatsoever? Or do you think that maybe on a uh, kind of a sub-level, they knew that this would hearken people to the idea of Pinocchio and that, you know... It, the parallels are, are uncanny. I mean, it is a area of downtown Disney that is, I believe, an island or close to it. You got to walk kind of out to it, right? And I think that's how that works. And then it's meant to be kind of this area where you kind of get to enjoy more adult festivities, drinking, entertainment, things like that. I don't, I mean, I, yes, you could bring your kids with you, but I believed later, I, 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 from what I understand, and, and maybe you have this in your research, when Michael Eisner kind of devised how he wanted this to go, one of the reasons why is he wanted to keep as many of his hotel guests on property as possible because they were going downtown Orlando for this entertainment. Yeah. So, I'm just curious to know, I mean, that, it, you know, wrote Joe Rody and, and or whoever else had a hand in this. I cannot imagine that they didn't come across the fact that there is a parallel between those two names. Pleasure have, Island on downtown Disney and Pleasure Island in Pinocchio. I have not seen anything confirmed, but they, they had to have known. They had to have known this. And if they did, and if it was kind of a sly nod to it, it was a big swing and a miss <laughs> because mm-hmm. what they ended up doing, you know, you go through the history of this and essentially what happened is it started to evolve where certain clubs and bars would close to make more quote unquote family friendly things. Like they were, they realized this wasn't working. And so shoot, we're now going to try to make this into a family friendly place. Well, then what that did is that changed the businesses. So all the plaques that I talked about now had to be removed. And mm-hmm. so your theming now is starting to crumble because what was this really well-themed area now isn't anymore because you're removing all this stuff. Interestingly enough, you'll appreciate this. There was a huge neon life-size Jessica Rabbit sign above um, Mm. in Pleasure Island that was removed in the mid 2000s, but, but she was there for the longest time. It seems like it didn't know what it wanted to be where once Mm -hmm. they started changing to more family friendly, it was this like weird bring your family, but don't. And then the whole shtick behind it was that it's New Year's Eve every night. So literally every night at midnight, Pleasure Island would have a fireworks show, like celebrating like New Year's Eve. And so is it this like weird celebration thing? Like it, it, it seemed like it was trying to be too many things. And then with this weird connection that again, that, that is what I thought if for 28 years of my life, I thought that this was, ha ha, we're going to make a land that's named after this Pinocchio thing. 
And it's going to be so funny that the people going there are going to end up like the people in Pinocchio. But to learn that there was this whole, again, not just thrown together backstory, like somebody spent some time on this. Well, that speaks to a broader problem with that entire area from from the very beginning. I mean, when you go back to the early 80s, when, when before Eisner was even brought on board, that whole area was known, I believe, as like the Disney Village Marketplace, right? It was, I mean, it was, it was meant to be a shopping area. It was always meant to be a shopping area. And then they tried to attract more locals and they realized that locals just viewed it like a regular shopping mall. So locals didn't want to go there and have to deal with the hassle of tourism. And then they wanted to try to catch more of that younger I guess at the time when this would have been created, this would have been the Generation X crowd who would have been the age of what millennials are now, maybe even starting what Generation Z is now. But Generation X crowd, they 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 didn't buy into it because they may have well had some younger kids with them at that point or whatever, right? So it, it just speaks to the broader, I guess, identity crisis that that whole area has had. I will say that their transformation into Disney Springs has made that area finally, finally come alive into what it was truly meant to be all along, which was a family-friendly entertainment destination that, that doesn't cost anything to go walk around. You can get in, there's shops, there's entertainment, there's food, there's food carts, there's things that you can purchase. It's almost like what Disney World or, or what Disneyland, I should say, was before it was kind of a here's a one ticket price and you can ride everything. It was, here's a small price to get in, but then if you want to ride anything or do anything, you 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 have to buy a ticket for it kind of thing. And that's yeah, kind exactly. of what it reminds me of, you know? There's some great restaurants down there. Uh, last time I was down there with my in-laws, we ate at the Boathouse. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you know the story um, behind that one, right? Oh, I don't, know. <laughs> yeah, so, well, the Boathouse, well, I'm sorry, you know what? I'm thinking of the wrong one. I was thinking of the uh, Jock Lindsay's Hangar Bar. Have you seen that one? Oh, yes. <laughs> that one is actually based on Indiana Jones. That yeah, one's actually exactly. based on a completely random side character who has less than a minute of time in the movie, but he's got a whole thing. No, The Boathouse uh, is actually one of um, the the podcasts that I listen to, uh, WDW Radio, Lou Mangiello. That's his favorite place to eat. So I'm always hearing him talk about The Boathouse. <laughs> well, and, and shout out to them on this. My wife is is gluten and dairy free. Um, And so a lot of times when we go to restaurants, it's, it's, especially when we're out for a special occasion and like dessert happens, it's a lot of times we have to skip it because there's just not one there. And Mm -hmm. we ended up telling, we, so we asked her service like, Hey, you know, my, my wife's gluten dairy free. And she was like, hang on a second. And the head chef came out and said, I'm Mm going to make you the best dang chocolate brownie you've ever had. You want it? And of course, at that point, it's like, well, the head chef is telling me he's going to make the best dang chocolate brownie. Heck yeah, we want it. And so that that was just an awesome experience we had there. First time I also had um, oysters. First time I ever had oysters in my life was at uh, the boathouse. The boathouse. I just think the boathouse is kind of cool because they got the cars that look like, or the boats that look like cars that go out on the lake and stuff, which is, which is yeah. really interesting. So, anything else you want to add about Pleasure Island before we trans, uh, kind of transport over to River Country? If you love Disney lore and stories and imagineering, absolutely spend an afternoon like going through all these plaques and looking at this stuff and reading about the Adventures Club. It, it's it's really cool. Like it, it's it's honestly really cool stuff. And if you don't know all the lore behind it, you're you're kind of missing out. 
this is kind of the gateway to especially the Adventures Club to a group called C S E A that Disney has put in, which again, not gonna get into right now, but is another like really cool imagineering thing that Disney has done. So definitely re read up on this if you're a Disney fan. We're gonna take a quick break to hear a word from our partners. Hey Beers and Ears listeners, Casey and Matt here. You've heard us talk about our partner Riss and Cal. You know, we've touched on their wireless earbuds which connect right to your smartphone. But they've also got a lot of other great stuff as well. I use their 4-in-1 charging station every day. It can charge my phone, a smartwatch that charges with a magnet, and even my earbuds. You can also check out their Bluetooth selfie stick, a 3-in-1 charger, and even a silicone accessory kit that comes in either black or white. Yeah, you know, this company checks the two boxes that I love in a product, which is great quality product without having to pay an arm and a leg. I've been playing around with the accessory kit. So this comes with uh, rubber things for the earbuds so they don't fall out of my ears and things to hold the earbuds so they stay in. I always have a terrible time with that, and these uh, work like a charm. So go to fourfrills.com shop and use coupon code BEERS, B-E-E-R-S, You'll get 15% off your order, plus a free $10 gift of your choice when you spend $50 or more. And if you have trouble picking just one thing, they've even got a 31-piece bundle that includes everything. Don't forget that a portion of their profits will go to help local charities in need. All right, back to the show. All right, we're going to go ahead and kind of move over to the second part of the episode now. So again, the whole idea behind this episode is to talk about either lost Disney attractions that were either failed, didn't work, or just their appeal was lost. And I will tell you one of the most mysterious that I have absolutely loved the story behind for years has been that of Disney World's first water park, not Typhoon Lagoon, not Blizzard Beach, but actually Disney's River Country. Lay Disney guests don't necessarily realize that there was a whole water park underneath their nose the entire time that was built in 1976 and ran until 2001 where it was closed a little bit they were, they said they were going to refurbish it and then they decided they were never going to reopen it so here's kind of what you need to know about Disney's River Country Disney's River Country was positioned next to Fort Wilderness the Fort Wilderness Lodge and the 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 campgrounds over there and basically it was meant to be a basically good old fashioned swimming hole is how it was described at the time uh, like I said, it was built in 1976, and it actually ran up until November 2nd, 2001, when they announced that they actually were going to just shutter it for a little bit and do some refurbishments. What's really funny is that in 2002, they said, you know what, we're going to keep it closed right now. If demand nee- is needed, we'll open it back up. And then in 2005, January 2005, Walt Disney announced that it would permanently close because at that point they had already built Typhoon Lagoon and Blizzard Beach. So they at that point had uh, two different uh, water parks operating. What's really strange and fascinating for me is that this park and another park, which we can go into detail on another episode, uh, another area of, of Walt Disney World, Discovery Island, which are literally just across the lake from one another, both of those areas are two the only two parks that Disney has ever closed. They are the only two 
attractions, the only two lands, I won't say attractions, but the only two lands that Walt Disney has actually ever closed permanently. And they just so happen to be very close to each other. And what's even more fascinating is that they left them the way they were. They're just, they they're, still, they're still there. Like, nature has reclaimed well, them. River Country is not there anymore. It has been demolished as of last year, which yeah. I'll get into in a couple of minutes. But you're right. Nature reclaimed them. Uh, back uh, a few few years back, a um, urban, what do they call these people? An urban hitchhiker, an urban explorer, an urban explorer jumped over the gate of, of River Country and took unauthorized pictures of what was going on in there. And you can absolutely see the fact that nature has reclaimed these. Now, there's a number of reasons why Disney could have closed these down. Number one, it, it was a very unique park. It was definitely something born out of the 1970s, born out of a Walt Disney company that is not the behemoth that it is today. The park was small. It had a very unique feature in that the bottom of the pool was was a sandy pool. It wasn't a regular pool. And they huh. used a very unique water water filtration system where they brought in water from Bay Lake and they filtered it. Well, the problem was Florida fresh water has a specific type of bacteria, an amoeba, that actually can find itself in the water. And unfortunately, the filtration system did not catch this all the time and there was actually a death of a child in at river country back i want to say it was back in the 80s where this amoeba got up into the brain and unfortunately the the child passed away and because the water was from the lake it was murkier it wasn't clear water so lifeguards couldn't see if somebody was in trouble so there was actually two drownings at the park as well now there's no indication that those were the reasons why river country closed because they continued to operate for years after that but when you brought on typhoon lagoon you brought on blizzard beach um at that point you you basically are going to see that a lot of the the new the traffic's going to go to the new attractions now there were really fun just things that you could do here there was the upstream plunge which was a lung-shaped clean water pool the slippery slide falls which were two water slides that emptied into the upstream plunge there was the kitty cove which was like a kid's area with uh two large water slides and a cove um, more targeted towards preteens. There were the there was the barrel bridge. So if you've ever been on Tom Sawyer Island, you've walked across that barrel bridge. Very oh, yeah. similar to that. Yeah. Uh, Whitewater cool. Rapids, which was a long inner tube river. Bay Cove, which was a half acre sand bottom lake, which featured a tire swing, a boom swing, a rope climb, and a T-bar drop. How cool is that, right? <laughs> it, very much, it very much has the vibe of your old-timey country watering hole, swimming hole, like they're going for that vibe. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, it, it the way it used to be described was it was an old-time swimming hole with a touch of Tom Sawyer in Huck Finn is the way okay. they used to describe this. But again, this is, the thing that makes this interesting for me from a Disney lore perspective is that when, if you think about the time that this was born out of, 1976, you had Magic Kingdom. You had the Polynesian, you had the campgrounds, and you had the contemporary, and you had this water park. That's it. Wow. That's when this was built. That's all there was. There was no Epcot. There was no Grand Floridian. There was no golf course. I don't think the golf courses were installed yet. They might have been, but this is it. This was, this was one of the two major attractions at Walt Disney World. 
Wow. So, yeah, you see what I'm saying? So it's very much born out of the much smaller Walt Disney World at the time. I mean, Epcot would not open until 82, right? 82 or, yeah, 82. So Epcot would not open until 82. So we're talking six years later. So until Epcot opened, you had River Country and Magic Kingdom. And, you know, when you look at the images out of that time, it looked like a friggin' hoot. It looked like it was a blast. And to say, you know, and it lasted until 2001. So, I mean, it lasted a good 25 years. And I think this is a perfect example of something that Disney didn't necessarily go wrong. Like there, there wasn't, I mean, clearly, you know, you read some of the things with the filtration systems and murky water, and those were definitely problems, but Mm -hmm. it seemed like this was just something that Disney decided, you know what? Typhoon, you know, we just built Typhoon Lagoon and I'm sure they were tracking park attendance and how many guests were going in there and seeing that, you know what, guests are liking this shortly after, I mean, what, it was six years later that they opened Blizzard Beach. And, and so now you've got the two water parks that are updated with brand new themes. And anytime something's new, people are more excited about it. This seems to me just something that I think the Disney company just kind of said, you know, this was great when, when it released that it was a nice, probably change of pace from magic kingdom. It was something a little bit different, but it just needed to move on. (laughs) I think the thing that fascinates me most about this overall was the fact that they left it the way it was. They didn't demolish it. They just put gates up around it and had a sign up that said, sorry, river country's closed. And that was it. In fact, when the urban explorer got in there, one of the things that he noticed was that the music still played. Oh, the music. It's eerie. In fact, when we stayed at the campgrounds, we stayed at the cabins a few years back, I want to say 2017, up till that point, they were still playing the music. You from from everything I had read, there were certain parts in the campground that you could go over to on a really quiet night and still hear the music playing. That so I just, eerie. it's really eerie to me, you know, that, that old fact is very similar to, to what you would have gotten like oh, in an in adventure, not adventure land, but frontier land over in the magic kingdom. In fact, it wasn't until 2014 that they drained the pool completely and sealed it off. And then in 2018, they, uh, Disney filed permits for a new mystery development that they at the time called project 89, uh, which was going to be basically done over the old river country. And then last year, spring of last year, they finally, finally, finally demolished the buildings um, and have started making way for a new hotel that's going to be opening up in 2022. Although with everything going on right now, it might be pushed back, but it's supposed to be called Reflections, a Disney Lakeside Lodge. And did you see the characters that the rooms are going to be themed off of? Yes. Bambi, Fox and the Hound, Brother Bear, Pocahontas. They're digging deep. Like, I mean, yeah, well, they're going mainstream, but, but Fox and the Bear, Brother Bear. Bear. Yeah, seriously. And then uh, apparently there's going to be a restaurant uh, that's themed after Princess and the Frog too, which I I think is kind of cool. I'm 1000% into that. (laughs) So, you know, again, this is just one of those, you know, it, it's a lost Disney legend. People didn't even didn't even realize it. I mean, I didn't even know it existed until a few years back. And and then I did a lot of research on it. And, I, and again, I encourage you all. You can very easily find those images online. Uh, the same Urban Explorer, maybe it's a different one. Also, again, this is not 
us advocating for this whatsoever, do not do this, you will get in trouble. But this, uh, an urban explorer also went on to Discovery Island and took pictures and found that Discovery Island, which was, it was very similar, basically it was a precursor to what Animal Kingdom was going to be, um, found that it was left abandoned. In fact, there were offices that still had people's personal photos of family up in the way that that was. So I just, when you hear stuff like that, being Disney being as organized and as careful about things like this, to see them just leave two lands like this off to the side, untouched, virtually untouched in a time capsule is, is just crazy to me. It's just crazy um, to me. There was actually in the news recently, I found this doing a little bit of research on this, um, on April 30th of this year, a man was arrested for camping on Discovery Island during the pandemic. And I was, did hear about that. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> Just, oh, my God. Do not do that, people. Please yes, do not please, do that. This is please the podcast does not advocate for that at all. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, Matt, um, it's closing time, my friend. How do our wonderful listeners get a hold of us? Yes, you can email us. Beers and Ears1928 at gmail.com. We love hearing from our listeners. It's great to hear from you uh, when you send us emails. Facebook, Beers and Ears Podcast, and Twitter and Instagram at Beers Ears1928. As always, give us a rate and review and a subscribe as well um, on whatever platform you listen to. It really helps us out to grow the pod. And new episodes release every Tuesday and Friday. We've got some uh, really fun things coming up. We're really excited about them. Absolutely. Well, let's raise our glasses, everybody. This one is on us today. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to us and have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. See you next time.